My name is Summer. And my name is Nicole. And we are financial advisors. This is the He's Gone, But the Money's Not podcast. We have worked with many widows during our careers. Although we are not widows, we see the need for solid financial education before and after losing a spouse. We do this by telling stories from widows and our own lives. Welcome back to the He's Gone, But the Money's Not podcast. We're excited to have a guest with us on today. And her name is Perianne. Perianne, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. We want to hear your story, hear all the details of what you've experienced and what you've overcome the last few years. So tell us about yourself, your husband, and your story. Okay. Um, so it goes back actually quite a ways just to kind of get a little bit of history. But I... Um, when I originally graduated from college, I worked as an actuary and an, an actuary is a mathematician for insurance companies. And I had a pretty good job. And then me and my husband had seven kids. So I stopped working and, you know, I was a, a full-time uh, homemaker, costumer, everything that you do as, you know, a mother <laughs> of seven children. And, um, we did a lot with our kids. And my husband made great money. He was an executive in insurance companies and, you know, we traveled and we took our kids to Europe and we did, you know, we just spent money like crazy and he had money. So we never really financially, you know, we didn't, we didn't struggle. The problem with all of that money spending is that we didn't save anything. <laughs> so every so often he'd put money in a 401k, um, at some job. And then at some point we'd buy a new house and we'd pull out that money into the 401k. I mean, pull it out of the 401k and we buy a house and, um, and we go on these trips to Europe. And so, um, we just, we didn't pay any attention to the future at all. And, you know, you're young, you don't think about the future very much. So about when I was about 43 or 44, um, I realized that we had no money and our kids were growing, <laughs> but I also, you know, I realized that we are in trouble. We're going to, we're not going to be able to retire. And so I went to him and I'm like, Hey, um, and I took a part-time job as a, as a, uh, legal secretary. And I said, you know, we should, uh, maybe I should go back to school. I could go be an attorney. And, um, so I went and I took the LSAT and I was all ready and he, he was still working in insurance and he said, you know, you'd make more money as a pharmacist and you'd only have to work, um, you know, part-time on the weekends or something. Um, and we could save for, we could actually save for retirement just by you working here and there and I can continue working. And, um, and that, that was like, yeah, but that's going to take a lot of years. <laughs> um, but then his, uh, he got really, really sick. And his kidney failed and he ended up having to get, you know, a transplant. And I was like, okay, yeah, you know, pharmacy is, yeah, I could do that. That looks, that looks fun. I could be in the medical world, still not really thinking about the future a lot, except for maybe working on weekends. Um, this was a big blessing to me because, you know, since it's happened, had I not done that, I, I'd have been, you know, really, really in trouble. But, um, so, um, I went to school, he was still working and within the first year or so of school, 
um, his company did not uh, renew his contract because, you know, CEO, he was a COO of the company. And they said, because of health reasons, that was actually written in the contract. They could fire you for health reasons. It's not firing. Wow. They don't renew the, you know, they don't renew you. And so we went, you know, from, we actually ended up on 10% of his income. Like, so less than he was making over 200,000 and we were now at $20,000 a year disability uh, money. And I was in pharmacy school. And so, yeah. And we didn't have any savings. That was why I was going to school. There was no savings um, to speak of. And um, it was that worst part of the market where all the houses were going like, they were like, um, you know, I don't know if you remember, but they just it crashed. (laughs) So we had been in our home for quite a while and we were very blessed. There was a woman actually who bought our house for what the mortgage was and she paid off all of our debt in the process. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. So for, she didn't actually buy the house for this amount. She bought it for that. And then she gave us another $50,000 on the side, basically paying off our debt. So, um, that just never happens in the world, but it did for us. And so we moved from a six bedroom home into a two bedroom apartment while I was in pharmacy school. And a couple of our kids went with us and we actually charged them rent. We didn't have money to, to even pay for our little apartment while I was in pharmacy school. So it was a really big change. How long was pharmacy school? Four years. Um, and then after the fourth year, I did a residency where you make, uh, um, like a fourth of what you would make as a pharmacist for another year, but it, it allowed me to actually get a better, a better job afterwards. So, um, while I was in pharmacy school, he wasn't working, he was on disability and he, because he was sick, he started spending money. I don't know. I don't know really how to describe it except for that seemed to be his only power. Um, but it was a race to the bottom of the bank account every single month and, or every single, yeah, every single month at this point. And if I could just get the bills paid before he started buying stuff, you know, online or opening credit cards, um, and buying clothes, I, I I don't know if it was part of his sickness or what, but so he was, he was kind of driving us into the ground and I don't want to speak poorly of him. I loved him. He's amazing, (laughs) you know, but this was kind of a struggle. And when I got, uh, when I graduated, um, from pharmacy school and I did my residency, we actually lived in somebody's house for free for a year. Uh, and then, um, we bought a house and let's see, I'm trying to think of how we got the down payment. It must've been our very last 401k that we had money for, and we pulled money out of it. Now I know you guys are financial advisors. (laughs) And the, that's the worst thing. So if you're ever thinking about that, don't ever do it. <laughs> why, would, why would you say it's the worst thing? Because <laughs> the tax penalties are horrendous. Um, and so I got, you know, I graduated, I got a real job and making good money as a pharmacist. I make great money. But, um, again, as soon as I was making good money and this was in the, he died within that year it was a race to the bottom of the checking account. He knew every Thursday around midnight that Thursday morning, he was, there was going to be money. And if I could get the bill money out of there before he could 
spend it on watches or jewelry or whatever he could find on TV, you know, I was doing well. So, um, and new credit cards were just a real problem. So when he died, um, he died in September. I was, I had a great job and I had great money. <laughs> um, but I had no money to pay for a funeral and I had no savings and I owed the IRS about $24,000. And I had a camper that I couldn't pay for. And I had, um, and all these credit cards. And so I was kind of lost. And actually the week of his funeral, the, the week after he died, I spent most of that week trying to find things to sell around the house to pay for the funeral because a funeral costs about $10,000 and they don't take credit. You know, they don't do anything on, you know, credit line or anything. You got to pay the, you got to pay the cemetery, you know, $3,500 right then there's, you know, and I didn't have any credit cards of my own. Um, so, uh, I sold, he had a lot, he was a musician. I sold a lot of his instruments. I sold a lot of his musical stuff. Um, trying to think I sold, actually, he had a bunch of watches. Remember I told you he bought watches. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I was very blessed that my kids came in and they, they took the watches and some of the jewelry to some jewelers and got them, um, appraised and had people buy them that week. And a lot of my friends bought some of his musical instruments and my dad bought the casket. So, uh, I ended up with zero. I was at zero, you know, from his funeral and in debt to the IRS and with all these other debts and all these credit cards. Um, so, (laughs) but I had a and a mortgage, right? And a mortgage. Yes. Luckily the mortgage was based on my income. Um, because you know, it wasn't too big. Uh, at least I was, we were, we were blessed in many ways in that number one, I had a good job. Number two, I was not in an expensive home and I have a good interest rate and I had a lot of family and I had a lot of friends. How long was he sick before he passed away? And and was that expected or? Um, so he got sick in 2011, his kidney failed and then he got a transplant and then it was, um, it was about maybe a year after his transplant that he lost his job. So, um, he was not really, he was sick, but he was more, but he was, he probably could have worked, uh-huh. um, but he was on disability. I mean, I don't know how well he would have worked. And then it was four more years, mostly the full time I was in pharmacy school, he was sick. Yeah. And this was social security disability that he was on. Is that right? Yes. Yes. And luckily I, you know, he had a good paying job before. So we were getting about $2,400 a month. Social security. I took out student loans. That was another thing. I came out of pharmacy school, $205,000 in pharmacy school debt. Um, so that on top of my mortgage, you know, was a big thing. Um, but it, it was worth it. It is worth it. Before um, he started social security disability, had he been on other disability insurance or was that something that you had signed up for at all? Mm -mm, That wasn't, yeah, no, he was, that was kind of, it was a completely different world. I went from being able to buy tires whenever I wanted to like, (laughs) and maybe I'll ride my bike, (laughs) you know, um, saving money by walking to school or getting a ride. Or actually we even had a 
we even thought about getting roommates to try to help, you know, pay for things and stuff like that. So it it sounds like a pretty stressful time to have your husband (laughs) be so sick and then financial struggles on top of that. And yeah, how did, how did you work through all of that? Um, I think when you're a caretaker of somebody, cause the last year I actually did dialysis with him every single day at home. We had our own dialysis machine. And, um, so I'd come home from work. I'd hook him up to the dialysis machine, which involves a lot of blood because <laughs> it sometimes you miss and the blood goes everywhere. Um, and I slept on the floor every afternoon. So I, I probably was depressed, but I wouldn't say I was depressed, but I came home and I just hooked him up, slept, disconnected him, went to bed for that last year, you know? And so I was pretty exhausted, um, trying to pay the bills as best as I could. It was coming to a crash. If he'd have lived longer, I don't know. We uh, maybe bankruptcy. I don't know. We weren't behind on anything. Um, because I always, uh, I always got the bills before he, (laughs) before he got to the bottom of the checking account. But, um, and the woman who bought my house, we didn't foreclose because she bought it. Yeah. So, you know, I, I could have had a foreclosure. It would have ended in a foreclosure had she not stepped in. And she was kind of just a random lady from my church who I think she just kind of saw the struggle and thought she could help and wanted a rental property and stepped in. So, wow. Yeah. So, and this, I, is a, this is an interesting question and you hit you know, answer how you want. Did you ever consider taking your husband off of the checking account or freezing his credit so you can't apply for credit cards? I wouldn't have known how to freeze his credit. I do know how to freeze credit now. Um, I actually, we did have some separate accounts when he was working. He, (laughs) this is kind of a secret. It's not really a secret, but I haven't told a whole lot of people this. Now everybody's going to know, but (laughs) one day, right when his kidneys failed, we were actually fighting about money because he started hoarding money to the side from his work. This is before he, you know, this is while he worked and he, um, started like, he bought a car without telling me. And I'm like, where are you getting this money from? And, uh, so he told me he had this secret account and I'm like, you know what? I I don't have to live with somebody who has a secret account. (laughs) So he became very compliant after that because he needed a caretaker. (laughs) Uh, I love him to death. (laughs) Yeah. But money struggles are, everybody has crazy. Yeah. It's, you can't live when you're, when it's a constant battle for money. Um, you know, I didn't really think about, I didn't really think about taking him off the account. I, I just, I guess I didn't. Um, I didn't think about that and freezing the credit. I didn't know how to do. So I learned that afterwards when somebody stole my, <laughs> somebody opened a bunch of credit cards and bought a bunch of stuff with my name. Now my, fr- my credit's frozen. I only open it up for uh, 48 pa- hours at a time. If wow. I want to like buy a car, I just call them. Well, it's an online thing. You unfreeze it and then you, and then it freezes back up after you've done your paperwork, they've run the loan process. So I'm pretty good at that now. Wow. <laughs> So one of the things I did learn, so after he died, where I was completely, you know, at zero and negative, um, actually, uh, summer, your dad, he offered, he was very sweet. He offered uh, free financial advice and it, it was shortly after, you know, after my husband died and I, 
was like, oh my gosh, he's going to try to sell me something. <laughs> so I didn't take him up on the offer. I just didn't. I was like, I've got this, you know, but thank you very, you know, I was very, you know, super nice guy. I was like, but I don't, I don't want to buy any annuities or anything like that. I have no money. I didn't want to admit to the world that I had no money. Um, and my boys, I have two boys. They sat down with me and they were like, let's look at your money, mom. What's, what's going on. And so I showed them the budget and, and it's, I, you asked me to write down some things like, what would I advise other people to do? And, you know, I showed them the budget and I'm like, I pay $150 for, you know, my dish network and I pay, um, you know, $85 a month for dog insurance and I pay and all this stuff. And my kids are like, you don't need dog insurance, mom. What, why? I'm like, well, you know, in case they get sick or if you got to, you know, and they said, mom, just get them shots twice a year. You don't need this money, you know, falling out of your house every single month. And why my, my, uh, they're like, my, um, cable does not cost $150. What's going on? I said, I don't know. And, you know, they actually called the cable company and my husband had added all sorts of extra channels and, and they're like, you don't need that mom. You just don't need it. So it was really nice to have a third party come in and look at where the money was slipping out of my, out of my fingers. Cause it really truly was. And so wow. it's awesome that they were willing to do that. Yes. And I did have a written budget, so that's good. I've always, I've always lived by a written budget and, but I looked at it every month and I'm like, okay, I don't know where I can, you know, we got to have cable and we got to have dog insurance. And it's because my, my perspective was, you know, just looking at it every month, I didn't see how I could cut it out. So it's kind of nice to have someone else look at it. And so, um, I waited about, uh, a few months. I want to, it may have even been a year before I contacted your dad and I'm like, Hey, so, you know, or he came to me maybe in church. He said, Hey, I still offered that offer is still good. And I'm like, Oh, okay. I, you know, I'm, I'm in a little better shape now. Oh, before I talked to him, I was paying off these credit cards. Remember he had opened up a bunch of credit cards. And so when I started, you know, sending out information or calling them and letting them know he died, anything that was in his name, they told me, don't pay this. This is not your debt. And I was like, what? I feel bad. You know, I feel like it's my responsibility. You know, he bought me gifts on those things, on those credit cards. I, I, this is, like thievery to me that, that, that they would write that off. And they said, no, this is his debt. It's not yours. Don't, um, don't anything that was in his name only, um, don't pay. And they, and they wrote it off completely. And that was a huge, uh, huge blessing because there was a lot of stuff in the end that was, that could have, I would have, you know, just paid it off a little bit at a time. Same thing with the camper. I, you know, I was, We'd had this camper. We saved it all the way through. I don't know how we kept paying the payment all the way through pharmacy school. We couldn't afford that thing. And when I called to ask, you know, what was the payoff? I thought it was going to be upside down and I was going to have to, you know, take a loss, try to get rid of it. Cause I, I was paying storage and I was paying more, not mortgage, but would have loan payment and insurance. I just didn't know what to do. And when I called them, they wouldn't talk to me on the phone. They said, well, is you know, Paul Allen there. And it, I was like, oh my gosh, you mean this is in his name only? Hallelujah. Come and get it. <laughs> you know, so um, uh, that's something that I didn't know. And I lost probably two or three months of paying that where I didn't need to because they don't refund it. They're not going to refund you anything that you pay. But uh, 
I wasn't responsible for it. And they were very clear. They didn't think it was stealing that I didn't, you know, pay or anything. They just, that's, that's the law, whatever. Did they have a requirement that you need to send in like a death certificate to show like, um, away or, or do you remember what they had you do? I sent in, I, I think I I know that I sent in death certificates to all of them. So it's somebody must have told me to send in death certificates. I did that to everything. What's weird about that is even still stuff comes to my day, to my house that like they still have approved his Bass Pro credit card. Even to this day, I still get a new one every year. I'm like, he's dead. I told you guys he was dead. You wrote <laughs> off his whatever. And I just toss it in the mail. I was like, <laughs> their, <laughs> records, their records aren't that great, but, um, so, so I kind of hobbled along, you know, paying my debt, paying the IRS, paying, you know, my student loan and, um, you know, saving. So now here was my big thing. I am 58 years old. I was 53 when he died. It's been five and a half years and, um, starting at zero in a young pharmacist in terms of in young in my career. And I'm, I have a great job. And I save 15% of my income into my 401k, which maxes out. Plus my, my company matches 6%. So in the last five years, I've been able to save, you know, over 300 and something thousand dollars towards my retirement, which might happen when I'm 75 or so. <laughs> um, so uh, then I kind of got on my feet. I kind of got into a groove and, um, I then contacted your dad and we, we met up and what I love about, I wish I would have done it sooner, like the year earlier, because he explained to me all about like the markets. And he explained to me about how much of your income you should put into higher risk and lower risk. And he really spent time with me and explained all of that to me because if you, you know, if I'd have done it on my own, I'm like, okay, I'm 58 years old. I got to make sure, well, 50, whatever I was, um, I got to, you know, put it in the safest amount of, you know, low interest with no, you know, bonds or whatever. And, you know, he really explained it to me really well. And, and then he's, and then we talked about all the things that I owed money on, on my student loan and the IRS. And when I met with him and we, um, after we, he had discussed and taught me about finances, cause that's what he did. He spent the time talking to me about finances. Then he looked at my budget and he looked at my savings where I have everything saved. And he looked at my debt and my IRS debt and my student loan and actually my house payment. We talked about interest rates. And he gave me several assignments. Um, he said, I want you to pay off your IRS debt. If you can pay off your IRS in the next two months, I want you to do that. And then he said, and I want you to get on the phone tomorrow and I want you to refinance your house and your student loan. Um, and I would have never done that on my own because I just, you know, this is, this is my monthly payment. This is what I do. And I wouldn't have even thought to go look at a better interest rate and, and, not, not even realizing that the IRS was doing penalty and interest. And it was just, you know, kind of killing me and draining me. So, um, I did, I paid off the IRS in a couple of months. I refinanced both my student loan and my home. I got 2.625 house loan. <laughs> That's unheard of right now. <laughs> I won't even sell my house right now because it's so good. Um, yeah. So, very well. Yeah. Um, and so I actually live pretty well now. 
And that's starting from zero five years ago, starting from negative five years ago. I'm very careful with my spending. I don't eat out hardly ever. I do travel and traveling on my own is, is I'm very, like I use, I use my American express Delta so that I can, I don't mean this is not an advertisement, but so that I can get sky miles to go visit my kids. Like in St. George, I don't do a lot of shopping, but I do allow myself to shop. I don't, I'm not like a, a miser either. Um, I work a lot of overtime. I made like the year before last, I made $60,000 just in overtime. And last year I made $40,000 just in overtime. It's not going to happen this year. You know, the pandemic was good for me because <laughs> I could work overtime, you know, an hour and a half every single day. Um, and I used that to help pay down my student loan because that's now down, down to like 120. And um, I pay, I actually bought a motorcycle and <laughs> wow, that's fun. <laughs> you know, so um, yeah, I treat myself, but I am very careful with my spending. That's my story. That's great. <laughs> well, a couple of questions. When you were, before you talked with financial advisor about redoing your debt, were you just mm -hmm. making the minimum payments or were you doing extra payments too? Let me think about that. Well, see, I was trying to pay off the IRS. And so I was doing minimum payments and usually minimum payments to the IRS, but I tried to get them. I knew that they were bad. I just didn't know how bad they were. If I did have extra money, it usually went to the IRS. Now my extra money goes to my student loan. Right. So you're like doing a debt snowball, get those down. Yeah. I financed my motorcycle. It was only, it was only $5,000, but it's, um, it was only 2.99%. And so I double my payment on that. It'll be paid off in the end of the year. I financed it because I figured it was just pretty cheap and I didn't want to deplete my saving my, you know how we all have that emergency savings. I don't want to be to zero in my, you know, I want to have a nice little cushion in my, in my bank account. It's that's probably bad advice. So going back to something you had said about how um, he had educated you about investing, why, mm -hmm. from your perspective, why do you think it's important to not just be all in bonds or all be in cash? Why do you feel like it's so important to be investing for yourself? Oh, for sure. For sure. That was, that was amazing that he showed me this chart and it really kind of clicked with me. He's like, you have many years ahead of you. You're, you're young and you're healthy. You have many years of working. He says, look at this chart. Yes. The, the, the market crashes. Even if you look at 1929, when the market crashed, it goes up and down, but every time it comes up, it always comes higher always. And, um, if you can wait it out, you know, you're going to, you will make more money that way and you will never catch up if you're too safe. And, um, so he, we went into my investment, into my 401k and he helped me actually revise it to be the more risky, the higher, uh, you know, the stuff that drops on a, like right now, everything looks crappy, <laughs> but I don't care. I don't care because I know I'm still going to be working. And if everything's crappy, that just means I'm buying it cheap right now. And, um, I learned that from him. And I think if I didn't, hadn't had that lesson from him, I would be like, oh my gosh, the, look at how low it is. And I would be stuck, you know, what should I do? Should I try to invest it in something? Not at all. I'm just totally relaxed. I'm going to keep investing. Um, I actually took a class through BYU education on preparing for your retirement after this. And that just reinforced, and it talked about, um, 
you know, what stocks to buy. And so I'm learning actually on my own kind of the stock market a little bit. Um, so I, and I'm not, this is not a plug for that app, but I got an app where you can put money in and then you can pick the stocks that you want to buy. It's, you can, you can, you know, mute this out, but it's Robin hood, right? You guys know that. And so every payday, every single payday, I take 10% of my tithing. So on my budget, it's actually calculated. <laughs> I calculate my tithing and it automatically calculates what I'm going to drip into it's, um, into Robin hood. And I'm, then I'm just going to play and, and pick some stocks. It's like throwaway money to me. That's to me. It's just like, I'm going to just, I've got to learn what works and how it feels. And, you know, I bought some Bitcoin and I've watched that crash and I bought some, uh, what's it called when they IPOs, I'll never do that again, mom, whatever. <laughs> and I buy, and I look around my house and this is what this class at BYU taught me. And I look around my house and what do I have? Um, you know, I might have a general electric fridge. Okay. So I've purchased something from general electric this payday. I'm going to buy $60 worth of general electric and I watch it. I just look at it and it's kind of a fun thing. And I don't stress that it's gone down and just that little tiny, you know, 10% of 10%, uh, you know, I have several thousand dollars just sitting in this thing that I am learning from. And I could, you know, it's kind of actually an emergency fund. I probably could pull it out in a minute if I needed it, but it's more of a learning experience for me. I just, I look at it and I pick a new stock and read about it. Like I have some fun things like, oh, you know, batteries, um, you know, electric cars are big. I'm going to invest in lithium. <laughs> so I'll buy something from a lithium company and yeah, it's been a fun, it's been a fun learning experience if I don't stress about it. And that's what I learned from the financial advisor. Don't stress about it. The market's crappy right now. Okay. Just buy cheap. Yeah, that's great. That's a great lesson to learn. And I think that you, by you having this account, it gives you a little more confidence in investing, right? You know, I do the same thing. Actually, I have a very small play account as well. I keep my, mm -hmm. you know, my most of my money's in very well diversified mutual funds. Yes. But yes, I that have somebody professionals taken care of. Yeah. <laughs> and but then I have my little play account that I'm going to yes. buy some fun stuff and see what happens. Yeah. That's great. And I'm losing, I'm mostly losing money, but you know, it's fun. <laughs> One day, you know, I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, you, you mentioned earlier how you were in your forties before your husband ever got sick, mm -hmm. just having this realization that you weren't prepared for retirement. Do you remember what brought that on? And like, you have this curiosity for investing now and, and saving for retirement. What sparked that? Was there something you can remember that really helped you realize? Gosh, I don't even know, but it became almost a panic for me. Almost a, we've got to do something, you know? Um, it might be, it might have been that I saw that every paycheck was a struggle to even save. I couldn't save anything. You know, there was no, there was no savings. And if, if at that point I had $40,000 in a 401k, I didn't ever see anything bigger than that in a 401k. And I'd been, you know, here I am 45 years old and that's all I've got to save. And that's after 25 years of working or 20 years of working and that's it. That means I'm gonna have $80,000 when I want to retire. That's not enough. That's not even a, you know, a year's worth. Um, so it just, 
something hit me like you've got to do something or you're you will never retire you're going to starve as an older person so one of the things that i also learned in that class um, they had us actually go onto the social security website and calculate um what your social security would be in a certain year or whatever and so my first few years here i'd been very stressed about saving in my 401k because i'm like i do have to work till i'm 75 not realizing oh yeah i i will probably have social security in addition to whatever my 401k you know pulls in so that's awesome good for you it's impressive too you went out of your way to take a class i can tell you really wanted education and and learning and uh you talked too just about having a lot of changes after your husband passed away you kind of were able to kind of get after the savings and stuff what would be your suggestion to our audience uh, before a spouse passes away? What would you have done differently if you could go back? Life insurance. <laughs> um, you've got to have savings. You've got to have some cash somewhere. Um, my bank account when he died was probably $100. And I didn't have a savings. I didn't have anything. There was nothing. Um, people were, people actually donated to help me pay for his gravestone. So it was, you got to have something in, in a safe. <laughs> it's if that, if, if you just have a thousand dollars and I know that Dave Ramsey, we probably shouldn't ad, advertise him, but you know, he tells us all and everybody tells you all that, you know, you got to have some cash somewhere. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's talk a little bit about money habits. Like, cause this is very, um, like a, this money habits drive a lot of decisions that people make. Mm -hmm. Um, so tell me a little bit about like why you didn't have life insurance. Because, um, we had always had life insurance through his employment. And when he is, when his kidneys failed, there was, it was impossible for him to get life insurance. So uh, we just, he wasn't eligible after that. So the life insurance went away when, when he lost his job. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because it was tied to his company. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's always the hard thing. And then, and then health doesn't allow you to do it. Did anybody ever present to you the option to take the life insurance with you that you could pay more for it and, and take it with you? I don't think that was ever offered. So when he left, remember it was more contracts. So it, I guess we probably could have, but I was in pharmacy school and they provided health insurance through my pharmacy school through the tuition, um, and which I took out student loans to pay for the health insurance. <laughs> but that's, so we did have good insurance when he died. At least I didn't, you know, I didn't end up with a bunch of um, medical debt, which is, that's a big blessing. Um, but no, I, it never, we, you're right. We probably if it was ever offered, I don't remember, we would have turned it down. Yeah. Which is, looking back, I guess you're right. That would be something that I would say, take it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, hindsight within finances is always 2020 though. Always. And we are, we actually never really think someone's actually going to die. You know, while I was in pharmacy school, he was on disability, but he wasn't like super sick. It wasn't until his last year that he was super sick and I was, you know, kind of caretaking. So Mm -hmm. Um, tell me about this as well. 
you mentioned you kept the camper even while you're in pharmacy school. And was there a reason behind keeping it? Was that kind of more his decision? I hated that camper because it was, it was such a drain on our finances. Um, we camped a lot with our kids. Uh, we had this beautiful camper that we could go up to the, you know, up to the mountains and be, and this is going to sound funny, but before, um, before he was on disability, I think the payment was $250 a month. Um, and because he was on disability, he actually got it refinanced down to only $150 a month. But you think about, you think about living on, you know, $2,400 a month and having to carve out $125. And that was tough. And I wanted to sell it, but it was always upside down. And he's like, no, we're going to use it. We're going to use it. It was like the bane of my existence. I have to say that was the, (laughs) if I could have, if I could have gotten rid of that earlier, I would have, but I, it was just a sticking point with him, you know? And so we paid it and I was never so glad as the day that they came and got that thing. So, <laughs> <laughs> so some of your other money habits before he passed away, you guys lived a good lifestyle, right? Spending on what you wanted to spend. Um, Nicole, was there anything you wanted to get to before we no, I asked my questions. This is awesome. Everything you shared with us is so great. Such yeah. great tips. Well, I, I hope it helps somebody because I, it's really scary to be with nothing. And I, I'm actually very blessed because I'm able to work and make money. I think there's probably a lot of people that are would be in a way more desperate situation than me, um, not being able to dig themselves out of the IRS, you know, debt like like I was able to. So, I, yeah. I I was going to say too, with establishing yourself in a career, would you say that that was something important to you that you would recommend to other women or can you comment on on your career? Absolutely. So I did have a degree back in the day, you know, working as an actuary, they make good money. Um, but you know, I did a completely different career. I was afraid it took me a couple of years to get the nerve up to go back to school. Cause I was afraid, oh, you're old. You can't learn anymore. You know, your brain doesn't work like it used to. I found that I loved school. It kept me younger actually, because I'm right there in pharmacy school with a bunch of 23 year olds and, and we are just a big family and it's, you know, this is fun. And I, you know, I'm intelligent enough to do it. And I got in a really good field. One of the things that I did, um, I, re- I was class president, actually, my pharmacy school class, and I knew I was going to speak at graduation uh, two years before graduation. And I told all of my children that I wanted them to attend my graduation and I wanted them to bring their children. And I did this on purpose. I wanted my grandchildren to remember that their grandmother graduated. I want them to remember that no matter how old you are, you can go back to school and graduate. And I specifically wanted them there for that reason. I wanted them all there. Even if, you know, so down the road when they're 45 and they're unhappy or whatever, they can say, you know, I'm not too old because I'm pretty sure I attended my grandma's graduation and she spoke. So I remember that, you know, um, I would, anytime anyone ever talks to me about it, because a lot of people do ask me about it going, I graduated when I was 50 years old. Um, and 
I don't feel 50 years old. Uh, so you're never too old to go back to school. You're never too old to start over. Um, and it was, I wouldn't be where I am because of it. I would be in probably desperate straits. Like, wow, what a cool story. And I think, I think your realization that you needed to save more to be able to survive later on really drove that decision, right? To, Hey, I need Mm -hmm. to work and we need to make decent money so that we can have retirement funds and, Mm -hmm. and be able to, you know, not rely on kids or social security or right. Whoever it might be. How How old was your youngest when you went back to school? 19 or 20. Okay. She, of the house. She went with, yeah, she went with us to the apartment complex. When we moved into our two bedroom apartment, she lived with us. Um, but she got married shortly after. So 19 or 20 is about how old she was. So they were, you know, we were empty nesters. Yeah. Great. I would, but, um, I did take prereqs while she was still living home, you know, cause I had a bunch of prereqs that I needed to take. Uh, but she was working, you know, she was a, she was an adult, like 18. So looking back on your life, I I feel like you've highlighted a few things that you would recommend someone else do, right? And that's to get a good degree and Mm -hmm. to start living on a budget and saving toward retirement sooner. Is there anything else you would add um, that that you would tell someone else to do? Um, Don't be afraid to try something different. But I would definitely, definitely, definitely take advantage of whatever savings you can, um, that your whatever company you have offered, definitely take advantage of that. I'm, I've got a good company right now that I'm, and I'm not going anywhere just so you know, I'm going to stay here just cause that's my whole goal. <laughs> take advantage of their retirement, their, you know, their 401k matching and stuff like that. Um, don't be afraid. Stop spending money. You know, I, it's funny. I just got engaged and I'm like, I don't, I don't want to spend more than like 500 bucks on a wedding. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I'm not spending $12,000 on a wedding. That is a waste of money, <laughs> you know, or a ring. Get me, you know, get me a band. If you want to spend a hundred bucks on a band. Okay. <laughs> don't wow. feel like you have to go splash your money all over the place. I do do one thing that's not probably financially the best. And that is I lease my car and everybody always says, you know, that's just throwing your money away. Um, and I, I might buy my car out this time, but I lease a car because I have seen car troubles and I've lived through, you know, not being able to get to work or something like that. And so I lease a car, but I lease it cheap. You know, I pay $350 a month. Um, it's bad. It's bad. Everybody says it's bad. And I probably should do that. That might be the next hurdle. I, I stop. Yeah. But as a single woman, I get it. I, I like when I was single, I was like, I hate car problems. There's nobody mm-hmm. to like pick you up from the shop and take you to work. Okay. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I get that. Yeah. <laughs> totally. So, um, so tell us about your dating and how you met this person. Oh gosh. You know, I thought I, I, I figured that I wouldn't get married. Um, again, when I went to go buy my husband's, uh, tombstone, 
I was going to say, okay, put his name here. And in fact, I did say this. I'm like, okay, we'll have this name here and you can put my name. And the lady, she was Russian. She's like, oh no, honey, you are way too young. You are going to marry somebody else. You are not putting your name on this tombstone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> and, and so I didn't, I didn't put my name on the tombstone, but I told my son, you know, if I die, just put me in there and just put a new one. Um, I, I didn't date for several years and I've always said, I want to do a prenup if I, if I do get married and that's just always been something like, okay, I'm going to do a prenup. I'm going to do a prenup. And now it's like, okay, so what do I need to put on my prenup? But, um, that's something now that I'm going to explore in the next couple of months here. As we talk about that, I don't, it's not, you know, I don't know, but I met him, uh, through the singles program in my church. His sister called me and said, Hey, my brother wants to start going to singles program. And I'm pretty active in the singles program just because I think the um, the church wants to, to do something positive in that air arena. So I'm going to support them. And so I just kept sending him flyers and he was showing up at things and we just, we hit it up in dating about a year. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anything else you're going to do with your finances besides a prenup? Like, are you going to joint finances, separate finances? Have you had a talk about finances? We have, we've actually had a lot of conversations about it. I've actually talked with a lot of my friends who are married later in life, um, to find out what other people do. And he and I have talked about, you know, what do we think we should do? And, um, this was even before we, we just got engaged on Sunday. So it's, it's not oh, like, this is very new. Yeah. This is very new. But even before that, we were talking about, cause I'd look at things like what to talk about with your boyfriend before you go any further. And I'd say, okay, so let's talk about finances. How do you see that? And, uh, so, you know, interviewing a lot of people and people do it different. You know, a lot of people just throw all their money together. And, um, some people just have one account for the house and then they each keep their separate accounts. And another couple told me that they, they have a house account where, they ratio their salaries and this one puts in 60% and this one puts in 40% and their house bills come out of that. And so we are in discussions, actually. It's, it's not a, it's not a fine, a final, we haven't decided. Um, but it is important to me. It's going to be, it will be settled before the, before the ceremony, but it will be settled. And I likely will, I'm going to, I have an attorney friend that I will talk to about a prenup. Like what is important in a prenup? I was Googling last night what do I need to put in my prenup? I do have a trust also and a will. I think those are important. That's something I would tell everyone to get as a trust and a will. That's, I used to work as a paralegal for a family law and, um, trust attorney. So. Wow. Good for you. That's great. You're, you're having those discussions. And like you said, it's not like a one size fits all. So it can take time yeah. to figure that out. We'll see, you know, he has his own business. And so, how does that work with a regular cash flow? You know, does that, you know, where does that, where does that, how do you, how do you picture that? I don't know. We did look at, so we did look at houses, you know, we were thinking, okay, well, we'll just rent out my house and rent out his house and we'll go buy another house. And, um, we just kind of were both like, why would we do that? Why would we go spend more money right now, you know, especially with interest rates so high, we both have really good interest rates. Why would we spend extra money? So he's actually going to move into my house. We've 
actually made that decision. And it's a financial, there's a financial reason. If we find another house that, you know, that we can afford and feel like we need to move, we're going to do it, but we're not going to just because, Oh, we're married. We need a new home. No. (laughs) Yeah. That makes sense. Good for you. I, I think you've obviously gained a lot of wisdom as you had to dive into doing all finances by yourself and really mm-hmm. figuring out the savings by yourself. Now you're like thinking ahead and trying to make plans. So that's really impressive. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we just appreciate you being willing to come on and share your story and be vulnerable. I really feel like it will help people who are listening and help them be prepared for what could come in life. Cause like you said, you really never know when someone's going to get sick or, or pass away. Right. Um, I do want to do kind of a shout out, um, to your dad for, you know, he made that offer to help me this, a financial planner. So, and, and while I didn't take it at first to be that he was being a nice guy, um, you know, he told me that, uh, he just wanted to help a widow and that was, uh, you know, it was life-changing for me. I really appreciate that he, took the time to teach me a lot. And he saved me so much money, not because he sold me anything or anything like that. He truly cared enough to teach me about finances and help me where I could, I could live better. So I, you know, I so appreciate that. Oh, that's really nice. And I think what you said is a good like standard for people as they're looking for a financial advisor to find somebody who will take the time to educate you and not Mm -hmm. just sell it and not just sell you something. Well, that was very nice of you to say. Um, My dad is a financial advisor in Northern California and I I don't get to work with him. So it's really cool to hear uh, the impact that he's made in his community. So thank you so much for sharing and thank you again for being willing to share your story. Thank you. And I hope if it it helps even just one person that it was worth it. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you want to know more about us and what we do, visit our website, rockhousefinancial.com. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for any individual. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from a qualified tax, legal, or investment advisor to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Rockhouse Financial is an SEC registered investment advisor and the opinions expressed on this show do not reflect the opinions of Rockhouse Financial or any other sponsors of the podcast. All statements and opinions expressed are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and unless otherwise stated are not guaranteed. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.